Good morning. Really glad you're here. Whoa. Need to get in the middle here. Don't want to be off center. That's for sure. Um, really glad you're here to celebrate Easter with us. This is the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the most amazing event in the history of mankind. And we're launching a new message series today. This is the first one. It's going to continue for four weeks. And we're calling it Aftermath. Aftermath, if you dig into the dictionary, it's defined as the consequences or after after effects of a significant, unpleasant event. It's what the aftermath is. We've probably seen pictures like this on uh, TV, on the news, of the aftermath of natural disasters. Here is a small town before an earthquake on the left, and then the aftermath of an earthquake in 2016 on the right. Uh, This is... If this is your your town and you're staring at the rubble, this is very disheartening to think about what it's going to take to rebuild that city. That was, that was a beautiful place. Um, <clears throat> here are a pair of pictures from Hurricane Katrina. On the left is a picture of a neighborhood in New Orleans after the hurricane in 2005. And then on the right is a picture in 2015, 10 years later, after it was rebuilt. Amazing contrast there in those two pictures. Now, I don't know about you, but these kinds of pictures stir an emotional response in me. Especially if this is your neighborhood, this this stirs something in you. Um, The aftermath of events like this, it's extremely difficult to, to deal with and, and to think about what it's going to take to rebuild. How, how am I going to have the wisdom to rebuild? What is it going to take, the effort, the work, the, the, the drudgery of rebuilding? We can all get caught in the aftermath of events, circumstances, maybe even our poor choices. And we have that same disheartening feeling of, oh, what is it going to take to rebuild? We get stuck, and it's hard to know where to start picking up the pieces from something like that. Maybe you've had a blow-up in a relationship an important relationship. There's been an aftermath of conflict and misunderstanding and that disheartening, that sinking feeling comes in. As a parent, you feel like you're not making progress with the kids, you're not connecting with them, you're not able to help them. Every day is now a grind. It's just really difficult. Or with your spouse, you don't seem as close as you once were. It's difficult to connect. Things are stale and you're afraid that you're losing touch with them. You long for friends and you've had good friends that the the friendship's just not what it used to be. You're, You're having difficulty connecting. Maybe you're in the aftermath of 
finances, of some kind of financial event in your life, and you're trying to figure out how to pick up the pieces. You could be having a difficult time on the job. In fact, retail, if you're in retail right now, it's a scary time. Everything's shifting to online business. And so retail is at a tipping point, and the whole industry, there's a storm coming, and people are starting to get worried about that. As you see the storm coming, very, very easy to get concerned about when things blow and erupt and the aftermath picking up all the pieces. Are you dealing with anything like this? I I don't really know. Um, But today, what I want to talk about is the importance of Easter and how Easter... The power of Jesus' resurrection is exactly what we all need to deal with the aftermath in our life of choices we make. You know, sometimes it's not a big major event like an earthquake that brings the house down, but it can be a smaller aftermath. It seems like every day, I don't know about you, but every day I get up and I have my plan for how the day is going to go. And it rarely goes that way. It just starts unraveling. I'd just like to have one day that goes the way I'd like it to. But, you know, that's not that's not going to happen here in this life. So just got to be prepared for it. But we have these storms. We have things that go on. Things unravel. Things fall apart. And often we find ourselves in a very vulnerable state. This is where Jesus wants to meet us. This, this is where he wants to help. Easter shows us that in the aftermath, Jesus steps in to bring hope in a very real way. I'd like to go back to the story of the first Easter, Easter uh, to show how Jesus' resurrection makes all the difference. Jesus, uh, earliest followers, they, they put all their hopes in him. They left jobs. Several were fishermen. One was a tax collector. Others did other kinds of you know, jobs. And they left it all to follow him. There was no plan B for them. This was it. They put their hopes in him. They, like Cortez, they burned the ships. There was no retreat. They were going to follow him. They'd followed him for three years. He did some amazing things. He, he healed the sick. He spoke like no one else had ever spoken in the history of the world. And people were drawn to him. Crowds were following. And he promised to bring in the kingdom of God. So these these followers, at least the closest 12 of them, they, had, they were all in. They had put everything in to following him. All their hopes were on him. And in the aftermath of Jesus' crucifixion, they were struggling to take in the quick turn of events. Because a week earlier, the Sunday before the Friday when Jesus was crucified, on that Sunday, he was welcomed into Jerusalem like royalty. He was being praised as he rode in on a donkey. It was an amazing thing. But then, at the end of the week, he was arrested, 
False charges were brought against him. He was tried, beaten, then executed, brutally executed. Roman crucifixion is horrific. And from their perspective, from the perspective of all of his closest followers, their hopes died with him. So in the aftermath of this crucifixion, you see them hiding, they're cowering in fear. They're not knowing where to begin even to pick up the pieces of their lives because they had gone all in in terms of following Jesus Christ. But then, in their anguish, glimmers of hope break through. Reports start coming in that Jesus is alive. He wasn't in the tomb. Some some women went to the tomb to find him. This massive two-ton stone had been rolled away, and the tomb was empty. And so these kinds of reports start coming in. Rumblings of resurrection begin to stir among his followers. And the memory of something he said starts coming back to the closest followers of Christ. He, he predicted this. He said, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And then on the third day, I'm going to raise to new life. So they begin. They're starting to connect dots here. This is what he was talking about. That was horrific. The appearances begin. He starts appearing to his his followers, first to some women, then to his closest followers, and hope begins to be restored. Now, I'd like to zero in on one of his followers that you may be able to identify with. I know I can. Thomas. Uh, Thomas' mantra was, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> that's, what you, that's what you get about Thomas. Uh, reports of Jesus' resurrection, they just weren't enough. For him to believe. Here, here's a description of Thomas' reactions to those reports in John 20. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, one of the closest followers, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So he had appeared to some of the twelve, but not to everyone. And so he wasn't with them. So the other disciples told them, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side where he'd been thrust through with a sword, I will never believe. Now, I I tend to think this way. Do you? (laughs) I mean, it's like, hey, that's that's unbelievable that Jesus could actually raise from the dead. I'm going to need to see that to believe it. So it goes on, John 20, 26 through 28. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand. And place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Suddenly, Thomas shifts from despair. He is transformed by meeting Jesus in this moment. This is how Jesus is. This is the kindness of God. This is a picture of God's kindness. He meets us where we are. 
Verse 29 goes on to say, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That, that would be all of us who have believed. <laughs> it's a little more for us to believe, isn't it? In, in, in what has occurred. Jesus' resurrection, though, restored Thomas' hope. And he began to spread Jesus' message to other parts of the world. This is what Jesus had commanded them to do. He told them, he pulled them together, and this is our command as well. But he pulled the 12 together and he said, I'm commanding you to go throughout all the world and make disciples of me. Make, help people decide to follow me as Lord and as boss. So that's what Thomas did. He began to spread Jesus' message to other parts of the world. Ancient testimony suggests that Thomas carried the gospel message. The gospel is the good news. I read an article this week. The guy said, gospel is a media term. And I thought, I don't, I don't did they have media in the first century? <laughs> but it was a media term. And what it was, it's an announcement. That's, that's, that is what gospel is. It's good news. It just simply means the good news that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead to prove that he had the power to forgive our sins. That is the good news. So Thomas began to spread this good news and he took it as far as India. In fact, here's Thomas' tomb uh, where there's a memorial in Mylapore, India, where Thomas is said to have been martyred and buried in 72 A.D. This is this is a memorial to it. You're not you're not you're not ever completely sure that this is the place, but this is a memory of it. This is where Thomas made his mark in the world, and it's the eyewitness testimony of these disciples whose hopes were destroyed who saw him risen from the dead, that is one of the strongest pieces of evidence that Jesus actually did raise from the dead. Would you die for a lie? I mean, these guys were real people. You know, we, they, we, we call them apostles, and, and we think, well, they're in a different category of person. Well, no, they're not. Thomas was just like you and I. He wanted to see it before he was going to believe it. And once he saw Jesus Christ risen from the dead, his life was transformed. And he then was willing to die for his faith in Christ. That's one of the strongest pieces of evidence that Jesus actually did rise from the dead. What would have happened in Thomas' life if Jesus hadn't raised from the dead and shown himself to him? Likely he would have been trapped in despair. He, he would have been stuck. But Jesus met Thomas where he was in his resurrection body. And even a doubter was convinced. You can look back on Jesus' story and investigate his claims. Because it is recorded history. This is not a fanciful legend. This is, this is a piece of history. So you can go back and investigate the events surrounding the resurrection and weigh the evidence for yourself. 
If you don't yet follow Christ, I want to encourage you to read the book that we've offered to you. Uh, It's the case for Easter. It's right in the, the lobby there. And it's the story of an atheistic journalist who started out to prove Jesus was a fake, which many, many intellectuals have done. And he ended up giving his life to follow him as he was skeptically trying to prove the opposite. That's what the case of Easter is about. A movie, I I realized this morning that a movie came out recently, April 7th. It came out called The Case for Christ. And it is Lee Strobel's story, the author of the book that we're giving away today. Um, It's his story. It was just released. Here's a clip from it. gives you a little taste of where he was at as he investigated the claims of Christ. One of my heroes was C.S. Lewis, a man who began as a skeptic, much like yourself. At the end of his journey, you know what he said? He said, if Christianity is false, it's of zero importance. But if it's true, there's nothing more important in the entire universe. So you want your wife back? Well, hey, guess what? People in hell want ice water. Not everybody gets everything they want. Stop blaming me and the church and God and do your job. Stack up the evidence, follow the facts, and write the story, win or lose. That was Lee, the guy playing Lee Strobel who is investigating um, the claims of Christ. And he says, do, do your homework. Stack up the, the evidence. Weigh it for yourself. And this is what we all of us need to do. I, when I was going through graduate school, I was in seminary preparing to uh, do ministry in, in my life. I, I had these nagging doubts, sort of like Thomas. You know, I, I kind of had this... This attitude that Thomas had, you know, I'll believe it when I see it and I don't know, I gotta, I gotta figure this out for myself. And so I made a commitment to myself. I was gonna investigate the claims of Christ. I was gonna get answers to the questions that were rolling around in my mind and my heart, or I was gonna leave pursuing the ministry. So I, as I'm studying for the ministry, as I'm studying for uh, this role I'm in now, I'm I'm asking the questions and I'm investigating. I'm trying to figure out if it stands up for itself. And I can tell you myself that it does. I, I can tell you the evidence is heavy on the side of Jesus' resurrection. And the Christian faith makes more sense than anything else. In terms of why we exist and what's going on in our world and what's what's happening to us and with us. The evidence points to the reality of the resurrection, but you'll need to meet Jesus yourself. You'll you'll have to seek him out. But like the clip said, the man in the clip said, he said, if, if Christianity is false, what, what's the difference? But if it's true, wow, everything changes then. There is meaning. There is purpose. 
there is value to human beings in a way there wouldn't be value because Jesus, God himself, stepped into our world to pay the price for our sin. That makes us incredibly valuable before God. What a difference it makes that Christianity is true. Jesus will meet you in a real way if you'll seek him. As you deal with the aftermath of life that you're dealing with right now. I met him many years ago. He's given me purpose to live. And he's helped me to minimize the impact of my poor choices. I still make them at times. But he gives wisdom to pick up the pieces and to avoid the choices that bring the aftermath. He does this because when we believe Jesus, everything changes. Immediately after the story of Thomas, John writes this. John 20, 30 through 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This, this word believe here has a very specific meaning. This was originally written in Greek, and Greek, English is not as rich in terms of language as the Greek is. But in, in this word here, believe, um, there's, there's a very, it, it, there's a rich meaning to it. One guy was trying to translate the Bible into another language, and as he was translating it, he was trying to figure out how to translate this word believe. And he, he was frustrated and he kind of fell back in his chair and he said, that's it. It's, it's leaning back and trusting your, the weight of your life to Jesus Christ. That's what it means to believe. Um, here's a sketch of Jean-Francois Gavalet. He was also known as, uh, Charles Blondin. He was a famous tightrope walker in the later 1800s. His most famous feat was crossing Niagara Falls with a tightrope that was 1,100 feet in length, or in length, and 160 feet above the falls. That's the most famous thing he did. Uh, in his act, he would start with a simple crossing with a balancing pole. So he'd start across with a balancing pole. He'd throw that away. Then he'd walk across without the balancing pole. Uh, and then he would do more difficult crossings. This is in the act he performed once he'd crossed on stilts. Now, I would have liked to have seen that. That's amazing. <laughs> He's crossing on stilts. He, he'd crossed blindfolded. Another time, he stopped halfway and cooked an omelet to eat it. I'm like, whoa, that's amazing. Um, in 1860, a royal party from England came to watch him perform. And he rolled an empty wheelbarrow across the tightrope. Then he put a sack of potatoes in it, rolled those across. And then he went to the Duke of Newcastle, who was watching, and he asked him, Do you think I can wheel a human being across the tightrope? 
And the Duke said, yes, I think you can. This is amazing what you can do. He said, get in the wheelbarrow. (laughs) And the Duke, being what I would consider a smart man, said no. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. The word believe in the passage that John wrote originally in the Greek means that you trust Jesus enough that you get into the wheelbarrow. You let him lead you and direct you and guide your life. That's a very specific meaning. It's a very rich word. If you're in the aftermath of unwanted circumstances or problems, you you can... You can trust Jesus to guide you and give you the wisdom you need. You have to do it his way. You have to commit to making him boss and Lord and master, like Thomas did, my Lord and my God. Lord basically means he's in control. That's what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. You give him control. When you believe... You decide to live life his way. And if you blow it, you you pick yourself up and ask him to help you start over again. He's okay with this. This, He's very gracious. (laughs) He, He is. He's very, very gracious. People who believe in Jesus in this way no longer lean on their own good works to be made right with God, to seek to find God's approval. They they have put their trust in Jesus who's paid the price. For our sins. Everything changes because we have life in his name. That's what this passage says. By believing, you may have life in his name. Everything changes. Eternal life in the future. And he guides us to live the best possible way in the here and now. If you rely on him, if you don't get out of the wheelbarrow, if you trust him to guide you and lead you in life. Having life in his name means Christ followers can learn wisdom in the aftermath. And that's what this series that I'm launching today on Easter is about. We're going to look at how Jesus, as you trust him to guide your life and help you make the turns and the decisions and the choices that he wants you to make, we're going to look at how he in the aftermath can grow us in wisdom, which is this ability to make the best choices toward the good goals that God has for us in life. That's what it means to be wise. The Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament portion of the Bible, and he at first violently opposed the Christian movement. He was violently opposed to it. In fact, he was appointed by the Jewish authorities to hunt down Christians, beat them, and sometimes execute them. And so he was on the road to Damascus to hunt down some more Christians to beat and execute, arrest, whatever he was planning to do to them. And he met the risen Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, and his life completely changed. This is what he said to an early church that he started in Colossus. That their hearts, this is, this is his prayer. His prayer is that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, 
to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And this is what I want us to grasp. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul wanted this group to understand and grasp some important truths about life in Jesus Christ. In Christ are found all the treasures of wisdom. We discover this wisdom as we allow him to guide us to deal with the aftermath of our problems. There's a storehouse of wisdom and truth that awaits Christ's followers who trust him enough to learn his way. This is what Paul is praying that these folks will grasp. Over the next three weeks, we're going to look at the specific ways that Jesus gives wisdom to help us in the aftermath of life. Here's a preview of the aftermath series. Next week, we're going to look at setting the stage. We're going to talk about two characteristics uh, that we need for wisdom to grow in us. These characteristics set the stage for wisdom as we deal with the aftermath in various situations. The third week of the series, the week following this one, we're going to call it Lean In. And in this series, we're going to look at God's pipeline for developing wisdom in us and how it needs, it, it reveals the need to lean in, to be coachable to God and to the wise folks around us. To get out of the rubble, we need help. <laughs> we need help to get out of the rubble. And we'll look at how this takes place over time in God's way of, of helping us walk through that. And then the last week of the series, we're going to talk about the right questions. We're going to wrap up the series by looking at the right questions to ask in the middle of hard circumstances that take you down the path in the right direction. The right questions are important to learn to ask because we tend to ask the wrong questions. And so we're going to look at the right ones so that we can head down the right path that's going to bring God's blessing in our lives. So often people commit their lives to Christ and God moves in their hearts. And then the Bible, God's word comes to life and all sorts of areas start to come into focus. I've seen this happen in my own life. I've seen it in the lives of many, many folks around me. Relationships become rich and meaningful. Marriages are restored. They get better. If they don't need to be restored, they get better. Family life becomes more enjoyable. Because parents are learning kindness. And they're able to connect with their kids. And they're helping their kids grow toward the right things. Jesus walks with us to make us wise. It doesn't, we don't become wise overnight, but he walks through us in the aftermath of different situations to help us grow wisdom. So the trajectory goes this way instead of this way. It goes up, not down. Work takes on purpose beyond the mundane. Because if you're following Jesus Christ, he's at work. And you want to honor him because you bear his reputation. You bear his name, Christian. You, you bear the name of Christ. And so you go to work realizing Jesus is our real boss and he is helping us learn wisdom as we handle the flow of life. 
in the way that we approach our work. Jesus provides resources beyond the material world to help us grow wise. He, he, he gives a lot of help. Wisdom's a gift from God. It helps greatly in dealing with all the aspects of life, good and bad. And so we're going to look in this series at how Jesus unlocks the treasures of wisdom. And I hope you'll join us for that. As I wrap up the day, um, here are some next steps. And you'll find them on the back of your connection card. I'd like to ask you, if you would, to take that connection card out. Uh, it's what hopefully you had time to fill out earlier in the service. But if you could, please take the connection card, continue filling out anything you haven't had an opportunity to fill out yet. And while you have it out, I'd like to encourage you to think through a next step you can take this week. We always like to have a practical way of applying what we've looked at in the message. And here are my suggestions for a next step that you could take. Uh, the first one is, for the first time, I accept Jesus as my Savior and commit to following his, him as Lord. I'm going to believe in him in the way John talked about. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my life in his hands. I'm going to let him guide me and direct me. For the very first time, I accept Jesus as my Savior and commit my life to follow him as Lord. Second step could be identify a current aftermath I'm experiencing and ask God for help and, and restored hope in that situation. And then a final step could be to attend the rest of the series to see how wisdom grows in us. We'd love to have you uh, return. I'd also encourage you to come back next week for the outdoor worship. That's, that's going to be a fun time. And then we have a boys event, a girls event coming up in the next few weeks that we hope you'll, uh, if you have kids in the elementary ages, that you bring your kids to, to enjoy. Uh, really glad you're here today. Hope you enjoy the breakfast snacks and the Easter egg hunt with the kids. And just hang out and enjoy some time with us. Would you pray? With me, Father, we thank you for the truth we see in your word that that gives us so much guidance and help. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for our sins. And God, we thank you for the power that you raised to, to new life and to give us new life that you raised from the dead to give us new life. We thank you for what you've done. We honor you and praise you and bless you, dear God. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.